Hello and welcome to the Hive Podcast with me, Natalina High. In this series, I want to explore how the coronavirus has and is changing the ways in which we live. From its impact on our social, psychological and physical well-being, to its effect on our businesses, economies, our cultures and the climate. Crucially, at the heart of my inquiry, I want to unearth what unexpected opportunities this situation may bring, not only for our own lives, but also for the ways in which we want to build our future. I hope you'll join me as we dive into these big questions. And as always, if you'd like to know more, you can find additional resources and links at natalinahigh.com forward slash the high podcast. And you can also reach out to me personally on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn at natalinahigh. And if there's anyone you know who's really struggling right now, who you feel might be supported by the topics and themes and conversations that we hold within this podcast, please do send them a link. Thank you again for joining me in this strange time. I hope you enjoy the show. In today's conversation, I had the pleasure of speaking with Blanche Ellis, an artist, musician and poet who works with events and conferences using live scribing and graphic facilitation techniques to capture content and the flow of ideas. She helps businesses find beautiful ways to convey their message on long-term projects and has worked with the BBC, King's College London, Cisco, the NHS, the British Council and Roche, as well as some great social movements, including Women of the World Festival and Drivers for Change at the South Bank Centre and Rising Global Peace Forum. Within her artistic practice, she has worked on projects and shown her art in galleries in London, Norwich, New Orleans and Barcelona. And in the past few years, she's been studying more traditional techniques of oil painting and charcoal at the Barcelona Academy of Art, which is where we met. She's also an extraordinary musician and on a personal level, Blanche has brought into my life a much richer, more expansive vision of what creativity means and where to find it, from singing and performing together to sharing poetry and bursting into impromptu dance on the streets. And so in this conversation, I wanted to uncover how any and each of us can engage in creative processes in our everyday lives, from exploring and absorbing what comes to us to integrating our experiences and finding ways to echo it back to one another and to the wider world. Far from creativity being a gift to the chosen few, we talk about how it can be used by anyone as a means of understanding and transforming how we experience both the world and ourselves, whether through movement, mark-making, music, or the weaving of stories. And one final note, if you ever wondered what my voice sounds like in mono, my charming recording setup decided to give you just that opportunity. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation regardless of the slightly different recording quality. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoy the show. So in today's conversation, I have the absolute joy of getting to hang out for an hour or so with one of my dearest friends, uh, beloved Blanche Ellis. Hello. Hello. Hello, my dear. (laughs) Now, although we're both in Barcelona, we are separated by, I reckon, probably about 15 blocks or something. And we haven't seen each other in two weeks physically. 
So um, this is a nice excuse to catch up. How are you yeah. doing, Bunch? I'm really well. I'm very happy to be talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I wanted to chat with Blanche, apart from um, because I enjoy it, is because I wanted to have um, this conversation to explore what it means to maybe dive into our creativity. And I think we're all creative, especially in a time like this where maybe we need um, ways in which to express ourselves and different maybe nonverbal ways or more than verbal ways to reckon with what we're experiencing. So Blanche, I want to start by asking you the question that I've been asking all my guests, which is, from your perspective, what do you think is happening in the global human psyche right now? In the global human psyche? That's pretty big. Well, I guess there's a kind of an inevitable readjustment happening, a kind of rippling effect where everybody meets the sort of the impact of what's happening. And then somehow that hits hits everyone in the center and then has a rippling effect inside them to adjust and that's going to look different for every person it's very hard to say but I think a lot of internal reflection is going to be happening for a lot of people some by volition and a lot of it by by the enforcement of circumstances and I wonder in terms of the ways in which we can reflect that maybe we're less familiar with I mean I know that you keep um, a beautiful selection of handmade sketchbooks that you write your thoughts and sketches and movements and mark making in and what are some of the ways in which that helps you to process or that you would suggest other people maybe start doing something similar to help them process so for me there's sort of two aspects of that the notebooking notebook making or filling particularly one is the the actual content so taking life and digesting it through words and uh, and shapes and the other is uh, is the actual physical when so much of our lives are have turned digital for me it's completely integral to move away from the digital because I find that the mind moves differently according to the tools you give it to work with now so if you give it a computer screen and a keyboard or uh, a particular kind of pen and particular texture of paper or mm. a, a typewriter where you have to like press every word with you know effort from your your arms and your fingers then the mind flows in different ways so I think the physicality of keeping a sketchbook or a, or a, a notebook right now is something that maybe is quite key just to keep us grounded and then the content is a whole is a whole world that I guess is different for every person. When you're speaking I also get the sense of the physicality of the tools that you're using to express yourself so whether that's a, a suede bound um, sketchbook and a pen or whether it's collage that you're physically working with to create an image whatever it might be and that's something which I know when you look at the research affects the ways in which we interpret and then process information that we're trying to work with. So, for instance, tapping a keyboard requires less physical movements than writing something out by hand. And so I wonder, is there something in the physicality of it that you think helps us to engage with what we're feeling or the thoughts that we're trying to express differently? I absolutely do. I also realised while you were talking to me just then that I was um, listening to you, I was like, rocking in my chair to the to the rhythm of your words 
because you speak very musically uh, and like moving my hand in a sort of figure of eight infinity sign you know mm. conducting an invisible orchestra style thing which is very small movements <laughs> but like the, it, clearly it's um it's a way in which the brain works that we're we are combined we're not just by brain or body and mm. and so the way that we um absorb or process or share information is very connected with how uh how it passes through our body how our body takes that information incorporates it um Mm. and then expresses it and yeah this world of touch this world this tactile Mm. world that we're so used to living in has changed quite a lot (laughs) uh so much at the moment um Mm. and you and I were talking about this recently fears about the idea of touch becoming taboo or becoming something um, that is further from us but also perhaps like you mentioned mm. a potential for the value of touch to be increased um, and I had this moment in my early my early isolation I think we're moving <laughs> into semi I wouldn't say mature isolation but maybe teenage isolation now mm. young teenage isolation um, <laughs> and I had a moment where I was just touching my own face <laughs> and feeling skin to skin and at touching my teacup and touching the things on my desk and that goes and it was a sort of an extension actually of the way that I've always felt when I'm making artwork where the materials that you're using become bodies that you're interacting with become alive things that you are uh, that you're working with and that are working with you mm. and there's this reciprocity between you and the things and I think that 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 is something that I very much associate with art but it's also can be found anywhere and is the kind of thing that right now I really want to cultivate rather than feeling cut off Mm. physically to cultivate connection with those things that I can touch. Yeah it does seem to me that there is a, a shifting of relationship that happens when your world shrinks And um, you and I talk about this quite a bit. I think one thing that you said that I've been thinking on, uh, especially more recently, is how looking at something or really observing or relating to something visually is a way of paying attention and this connection between attention and love. And I think, I mean, sort of a few thoughts arise in my mind. So things like... um, the ability in, for instance, mindfulness practice to show um, attention to something or loving kindness to oneself, which often for me shows up as benevolent curiosity when I can unhook myself for long enough, however fleetingly, from the crazy, rapid, tumultuous thoughts of, uh, of this corona crisis. Um, but I also wonder with, with this sort of shrinking of our worlds, of our physical environment, for, the, for those of us who are having to spend much more time confined in our spaces how that shifts the ways in which we relate to that with which we're already so familiar so like yesterday we had to go out and do a shop for some fresh veg and fruit because we'd run out and um we picked up these amazing tomatoes and ordinarily I have a thing about tomatoes because I love them and the shape of them and they're sort of these beefy 
curved, bulbous, organic, <laughs> hefty, hefty. I don't know, they're so <laughs> sensual and voluptuous and a bit ugly, but I love that. Um, so usually I have a bit of a thing about these tomatoes. I know what you mean. I'm not doing them any justice. Anyway, I posted some images to my Instagram feed, um, but also avocados. And I noticed these amazing, like these amazing alizarins and these greens. And, you know, obviously we've been painting, so we're kind of trying to tune ourselves into color, uh, but also the texture of the skin. And suddenly my whole world just zoomed in on this complete fruit. Um, and I just really noticed how differently I was relating to it because my attention has shifted. Um, what are your thoughts on that? How has that shown up in your day-to-day life? Oh, that's such a beautiful description. And it really <laughs> makes me want to go vegetable shopping. <laughs> Especially because I have only one tomato left. The quote that encapsulates a lot of what... Um, well, that's, yeah, sort of sparked that, that line of thought or encapsulated that line of thought for me was a quote by Mary Oliver, the poet, that mm. attention is the beginning of devotion. Oh, it's lovely. Which I find really beautiful um, and is something I've experienced in many places in many ways that even if I feel really unconnected, if I sit down... Uh, so, for instance, on the Metro, sometimes I'm very attracted to certain personalities or or face types and I mm. I really want to draw them and I'm full of inspiration and other times I sit down and I'm you know not necessarily drawn to anyone in particular but I find that if I if I choose someone and get the pen moving on the page and start working and start observing I develop attachment I develop a kind of care and a kind of curiosity Love is a very, like, broad and unknowable word, but I, I develop, a, yeah, a care and an intention through that. Um, mm. And right now, not being able to ride the tube and fall in love with strangers in the way that I have done <laughs> for so many years, <laughs> I am looking around my room more and thinking, what, like you say, like, in this kind of space, like, what things can, do we have that we can pay attention to in this way? Um, how much can we savor savor our meals? How much, mm. you know, as a as a painter or creative person, can you observe something like your favorite cup that you pick up every day? I think I've, like, if I flick back to my sketchbook for the last or my notebook for the quarantine, I've probably mentioned my teacup more than I've mentioned anything else. Mm. <laughs> like it's cropped up as a character more <laughs> often than anything else. I love that because it is sort of characteristic of a certain kind of goodness and wholeness and security and homeness um so I guess we can explore our environments more in that way I love this idea of the cup as character and I'm I'm just sort of sitting here thinking I wonder what that would be for me and I wonder for you listening what that would be for you so what characters are living in your home or hiding in your cupboards or in your garden that you relate to every day um with great familiarity that maybe you just haven't seen really in a in a more I kind of want to say three-dimensional or ripped or nuanced way um yeah or even what would it be like to uh to see to see your day from their perspective from the perspective of these objects just kind <laughs> of like it's a way of shifting your perspective within within your environment oh I love that idea one of the avenues I wanted to walk down with you is 
the question around creativity and exclusivity and this idea that we have in many prevailing cultures that creativity is this kind of thing that's shrouded in mystery and only touches the special few that have them that are either sort of the talents of the musician or the talents of the painter or the dancer or whatever it is and um I know that you and I have a lot of conversations around this of of dispelling a lot of these really not helpful myths um what is your sense about creativity where it comes from and how we can connect with it yeah so this is this is a big one. This is one that I think I've spent most of my like conscious adult life um, thinking of in one way or another. <laughs> and this is a moment that, that brings back to me something that I feel very strongly about creativity, um, or several things, one of which is, as you say, that I think it is something that belongs to every human, uh, like every person, as a tool for living and the other thing is that to me I couldn't put a number on it but to 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 choose something at random art, art for me is and this includes art dance music mm. any form of creativity it's like 80 percent 90 percent 95 percent process and then you know some people choose to align that with a craft and turn it into a product a sort of artistic product that that can be um transferred to other people in some way or and that's a very beautiful thing but it's not necessarily the point Mm. um and that's the sort of and to sort of see that little uh percentage as real art or as the point of art to me misses the point that we can all be involved in process and that's something that's happened since the there's there's no known human culture in which people don't sing and dance and draw on walls and floors and and all do it together um even if there are some people who maybe guide or lead or who remember the stories or the songs everyone is involved and it's participatory so i think that it's it's very key i think that it's like essentially therapeutic mm. a tool for living and in a situation like this it's a moment to really recognize that and mm. to explore making and to explore creativity in whatever way it comes from you as as a process mm. so what i'm hearing when you're talking about process um that it's something that we can all do that we can all engage in this idea of the the act of creativity of creation whether that's the creation of a movement or creation of a teacup or of a sketchbook or a mark or a story or a sound that that's the thing that is rich and that's the thing that we all engage in in some way that all cultures have some version of yeah um and i think the other thing that you touched on the sort of the remaining five percent the product whatever you want to call it or the finished piece or the the part that stands alone once the process is complete, if the process completes at a certain finishing point, that's the thing that often we associate with the creative, the artist, or whatever it might be. And actually, that's that's only the culmination of something which is a relational act, the process, the, um, the journey, which is the main rich thing. I yeah, think. it's almost what's uh, left behind by the process. Yeah. 
I, I was really touched by what you mentioned about people coming together to sing and there being people who are maybe the the people who guide or who lead or maybe facilitate <clears throat> or support in some way. And of course, there is always um, there is always going to be people who maybe have a, a natural aptitude that are able to to support the rest. But one thing I was thinking about in relation to this, and it's not strictly speaking creativity by its maybe more formal definitions that we might be accustomed to. But um, last night in London, which is strange enough where we are both from, although we both now live in Barcelona, um, people came out and took to the streets or hung out of their windows at 8pm and clapped and cheered for the NHS, which is actually, I w- yeah, it's something that I didn't ever think the UK would come together to do just because me neither we're kind of we're kind of a bit more of a quiet culture I mean apart from the sort of the going out and partying and doing all sorts of crazy shit in Ibiza which is kind of Brits letting loose the other side is this very reserved quite stoic um caricature almost that we've created as this cultural identity and it doesn't necessarily mesh with what we see here in Barcelona which is much more fluent and common displays of expression through drumming in the streets, banging tin pots at a certain time of night, clapping for the staff um, in medical centres. So that, people coming together in the streets of the UK in a culture which is not necessarily very extrovert in its expression of emotion, is also, from my mind, an act of common creativity. Yeah, I totally see that. Also, like in a way, it is really creative because creative... I mean, creativity is often like stepping outside given bounds or walking up to the edges of those boundaries and um, feeling them and pushing Mm. on them. And that's often where we meet other people and we meet ourselves and we meet discoveries. Um, And so I think it is. Like, it also really heartened me. And some friends sent me, like, videos of of it happening and it was just so beautiful because, like you, I didn't assume... Uh, I found it hard to visualise that happening in our culture. So I think that's a really beautiful example. And what I was going to say before, there was, um, it was actually an idea that just came up when you were talking, sort of reflecting me back, was uh, I just noted down absorb and echo back. Mm. And that being part of a process of creativity. And like, at this point, not necessarily associating with you know any particular artistic discipline but as a way of living creatively it's it's not passive so it's not that kind of uh just absorbing entertainment kind of thing Mm. which is sometimes great to do and lets you relax and all of this but can also for me put me into a kind of shutdown mode where i just i'm less active internally Mm. Uh, I would even say potentially less alive Mm. and creativity just in living I think and this is in conversation as in anything else is absorbing what comes to you sights sounds ideas um, movement stimulus uh, silence whatever it is absorbing what comes to you and integrating it and finding a way to echo back that isn't just a flat echo off a wall that hasn't changed anything it's it's the echo from the inside of you that has changed the shape of the thing you've absorbed and then echoes it back in a new shape and that's the sort of rippling which takes us back to what you asked at the beginning about how 
how people and society will change in this moment or may change in this moment and I think that for me perhaps the most positive change that I can hope for in terms of um, looking at how how we respond to this as humans is that instead of that flat wall echo back of mm. which is sort of knee-jerk reaction fear uh, anger hopelessness this kind of thing that there's an integration like a, a deep absorption of these changes of the experience of other people of our own experience in a way that lets us echo back from deeply inside ourselves and that that could be profoundly creative individually and and broadly as as cultures i love this idea of absorption and echo especially in a time when so many of us are just skimming through the day giving fragments of attention mostly to online content which comes and goes in the snap of a finger and i think it can leave us feeling frazzled and disconnected um, and more stressed out and i wonder for those people who are listening who maybe are thinking oh fuck i would love to find some time just to find a bit of reflection or i'd love to find some time to turn inward or maybe do some kind of uh, creative expression experiment whatever it is what do you suggest might be a nice gentle easy practice or place for them to start well I like the one we we sort of invented during this conversation but of creating creating characters out of things in your room in terms mm. of writing uh, or in terms of drawing and observing them sort of creating imagined narratives for for objects in your room you might discover sort of deeper relationships that you have with them or things that they symbolize to you that help you travel deeper inwards towards a truer space in terms of other practices there are lots of things actually that I um the sort of things that I sort of tell myself that I want to practice uh, mm. and haven't done so much of yet <laughs> um, but things like drawing with your eyes closed or like especially if you have a desire to 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 make something to to move in the physical and if you don't know mm. how to or where to start or if you get hung up on ideas of what real art looks like or should look like and uh, which basically pulls you out of of the process of interacting with with your material um there was an exercise we did in a workshop um which I yeah. did with you, Natalie, <laughs> which was to take an object in your hand, so potentially, uh, you know, your cup or, you know, if you have stones lying around that you collected somewhere or a pot plant or a beer bottle or whatever it is, <laughs> um, and take it in your left hand, well, or your right hand, take it in your non-drawing hand and then put down paper and some kind of, soft pencil or, or crayon uh, or pen or whatever and then close your eyes and explore the object with one hand and draw it with the mm. other drawing what you feel um without being stuck to drawing what your eyes know mm. because again these are ways of going 
deeper and more broadly into the relationships that we have with the things around us and the ways that we that we can interact with the world because there's also this thing of choice that I've been thinking about a lot and certain people in my life and certain things that I've read have made me think about which is that when you have a smaller range of choice you still have choice within that and exercising that choice mm. makes I don't know, it gives a kind of freedom or it recognises a freedom that you have. Um, and so choices in the way that we observe yeah. when we aren't perhaps as free to move or choices in the way that we observe and interact with what we have around us are sort of ever more important because they are the description of our freedom. They are the, the description of what we have available to us which is still infinitely rich, even if it's only one room. That's so beautiful. It reminds me of uh, Viktor Frankl's work about well, his experience. He writes about his experience in the concentration camps and how even with no physical choice, you can't choose your environment. Your choices are stripped back uh, to such a, a degree that it feels as though there is none left. But even in those extraordinarily difficult extreme moments there's still the choice of how to relate to what's happening to you to what's going on luckily most of us are not in an extreme situation such as that um but I think there is wisdom there and and, and it's woven in what you've talked about the sense of being able to relate to things in a different way and in what you're saying I also feel like um a sense of deepening our attention so the quality of attention somehow deepens or maybe drops in and with the exercise with um well when I did it it was with a piece of driftwood which is kind of this beautiful rough texture with little pock marks in it and it was just this sense of being able to let everything else fall away to direct our attention to something that you're exploring with your body to bring you back into contact with the senses and to not be worried about outcome because you're not looking at what you're drawing you're literally just feeling out a mark <laughs> so you're feeling the thing and then you're allowing a mark to come that kind of shifting in relating I think also creates a shift in one's internal space somehow so then you're not necessarily racing ahead and looking for rapid easy to digest information in the way that many of us spend much of our waking lives you're kind of moving into a different sense space um and creating space for the physical senses. And I think, especially when we're feeling stressed or anxious or um, manic in response to whatever's difficult in our environment, whatever we're going through, it's really easy to come out of our bodies, to be disembodied, to head, to, to sort of stay in the headspace and not, um, not really let ourselves physically be present. At least that's definitely something that I have a, <laughs> a bit of a trouble with. And so new ways to find our ways back into our bodies, I think, can be extremely helpful um, and in, helpful in, in reducing the panic that we might feel. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, and this, especially in this, like, suddenly overwhelmingly digital world where there are incredible resources and it's, it's amazing that we have that. Like, I, I wouldn't wish it away. Um, but finding ways as you say to be in your body and in the room um 
I think are really important because there's a kind of suspension of of all of that in the encounter with the screen and I think that that does allow I mean you'll know more about this than me because you have the psychology uh, and a lot of awareness around this mm. and internet use but just from my own experience um, I think it, it is a lot easier for anxiety to get hyped and thoughts to get looped and um, to get to a place where I feel disconnected from myself, from other things, from other people, even in the midst of a lot of interaction, to feel kind of that um, a jittery, heart rate kind of up, breathing kind of shallow, don't know where I am or what I'm doing feeling. Like it mm. definitely, I can go there quite easily if I spend a lot of time with the screen. Also because it's multiple, mm. like so many different things we do arrive through a screen that um, that the part of our brain that associates objects with activities um, obviously has so many associations running at the same time, like, you know, tabs in suspension mm. in your browser. Uh, they're all kind of just hanging there while you're trying to do one thing at a time. And so it's something else we said the other day about simplicity. And if you take a material... Um, a pen, a pencil, a sketchbook or or whatever it is or your own body for movement or an instrument or something like this you're going into a simplified world of associations with with that object or with that mode of expression which I think just allows a, a, a quieter space um, and, a, and a better integration of your senses that for me brings a kind of uh, a calmness and a, a wholeness I love that yeah I think one of the things that I've been noticing um being that at the time of recording we're now what, nearly two weeks in um by the time by the time this episode comes out it might even be a month since Spain has been in lockdown but um one of the things that I've noticed is that in the first week or 10 days um there was quite a strong response uh, that looked like going online, reaching out to people, moving all our social interactions into the virtual sphere. And now I feel like I'm settling in something else, which is, well, maybe I don't want as much screen time. Maybe I don't want to be on WhatsApp all the time. Maybe I want to pause that so I can actually bake bread or make risotto for the first time, which I've never known how to make. Or um, spend time writing some music or whatever it might be. Um, and there is this sense of, for me, it feels like it's kind of dropping into a different layer. And the layer feels like um, a desire for making the most of this really unusual situation. And as much as it offers us a way in which to reduce our distractions if we allow it to, if we choose to give ourselves pockets of time away from our devices where we can actually just spend time, in my case, it might be reading or in your case, it might be doing some poetry or whatever it is, but there is the opportunity to really use this time differently. And I think one of the things I've noticed with other friends and friends who are in the therapeutic space as psychotherapists um, is that a lot of people are kind of discovering what actually 
comes up the priority list in moments such as these. So maybe it's cooking, maybe it's planting some vegetables in the garden, maybe it's um, sitting quietly for half an hour and listening to the birds in the morning because they don't hear all the sounds of the cars outside their front window. Um, I'm wondering from your perspective, what's something maybe that mattered to you before this all happened that no longer matters as much now, if there is anything that falls into that category? That's a really interesting question because I actually still find life incredibly full and that what I'm actually finding is that there are, that through this stripping back, there are still things that I could strip back um, and that I have a pull towards simplicity. So in terms of, of your question of what I found important before that I find less important now, it makes me think of uh, something that I was writing. I haven't actually written it, just passed through my brain. We have a group of poets on WhatsApp, like friends of ours here in Barcelona and actually around the world now. And we give each other prompts for writing. And the, one of the prompts yesterday was in times of blank to still need blank mm. or, or to still need blank in times of blank. And what came to my mind was to still need less in times of little mm. and to still need to listen in times of silence. And it's sort of, I sort of realised, or I'm realising with this, that despite this stripping back, I have a sense still of that I could strip back more, that I have a pull towards simplicity from this, rather than um, necessarily a desire to to fill my life up further. I realise how much more I could let go mm. and there's something under there that I, I'm i looking for. It's funny because that was going to be my, my next question, which is, has this shown you um, aspects or things that you want to let go of? And I wonder, for many of us, it will be habits. Um, and I wonder for you if there's something that comes to mind that, yeah, that you're kind of quite happy to let go of. Because I think a lot of people are realising now that they don't have to go, for instance, into the office to work. They could quite happily let go of being there for maybe three or four days of the week and it's it can be quite a welcome relieving liberating sensation to have certain choices temporarily made for you if you're in the fortunate position of being able to continue working from home and I realize that that's not the case for all of us but yeah has this situation shown you some things that you're actually quite joyful to let go of yeah so my mind is taking through what those things might be um <laughs> And I think for me, it's more to do with activity than particular things. Some of it is particular things like, I don't know, I don't think of myself as a big consumer anyway, but um, but there are definitely sort of things that I could, could do without at the same time as having some things that... Uh, that remain not essential but but pleasures that are really enjoyed for the for the scarcity yeah. of it um mm -hmm. but i think in terms of letting go it's more uh, as you say habits and perhaps what i would like to let go the most and what i'm sort of looking for or sensing with the thing that i was writing before is um is to move into this quiet to let go some of the noise mm. and that 
includes digital, but also in in our previous lives, (laughs) pre-corona, included, I don't know, going to a multitude of events and um, trying to keep up with a multitude of things. And this, I think, is a sort of um, acceleration of something that was happening anyway for me in terms of 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 stripping back and it's probably an age thing as well and like a time of life and settling into learning what's important to you not always spiraling outwards but actually letting the the spiral drift gently inwards towards the things that are your center and this Mm -hmm. feels like an opportunity for that um yeah it is interesting this kind of drive that um certainly being londoners i recognize (laughs) in other londoners um, this drive to be busy, to be constantly on, to be doing stuff, mm. all the shoulds that list themselves in my head on a day-to-day basis. Um, when all of that's stripped away, it's, it's interesting to see how much of how much of that busyness or drive towards being active or doing stems from external stimulus and situations. Um, or an internal state of mind of of being compelled towards this. And I know this is something that we've sometimes touched on. And you said something beautiful the other day in conversation about the idea of um, dropping from being pushed, the shoulds that almost push us forward, to dropping into more of a heart space of being able to be open enough and still enough to feel what maybe we're moved towards. And that being quite a different flavor of relating or of drive or of, engaging so I think I think that's something that I'm keen to ask is there along with the the lovely examples that you've given is there a way that you find that helps you do that is there things that people can do or maybe a question that they can ask that helps people drop into more of that nuanced heart space oh I sound like a yoga, yoga teacher, teacher and I, I love, love yoga, yoga teachers, but I don't <laughs> want to be all weird. <laughs> but you, do you know what I mean like to, to drop in and go all oh, right do I actually want to do this or am I just telling myself that I should fucking get on with it like that's where <laughs> how do people get to the nice bit without the massive cracking the whip on their own backs that's what I'm asking <laughs> man I mean questions to which I wish I had answers <laughs> but I um me too baby <laughs> <laughs> so for me what came up while you were saying that was a couple of things um, one of them was was rituals by which I don't mm. mean like forced productivity um, like it doesn't have to be that you're like making a thing a day although that can be and I know that that actually works for a lot of people that they have like a small thing they make each day mm. and that that is a beautiful way of creating a ritual but it can also be for instance what I'm doing at the moment is very little in terms of uh, visual arts which is supposedly the thing I've been dedicating my life to for the last few years what I've been writing but the thing that I've made my ritual is uh, breathing Mm. in the morning and the evening Um, doing sort of uh, I don't know tons about it but I've learned several breathing techniques deep breathing and Uh, sort of oxygenating yourself Uh, so the other thing was actually and this is what I'm I'm trying on myself is just uh, not putting on pressure so instead of thinking like what can I do 
about this. Um, just letting yourself not. Mm. Because we're all, we all have motivation. We all have desire to do things. It reminds me of um, uh, attitudes to education and whether you assume that children are, you know, automatically lazy and dumb and just need to be like whip cracked into, into learning or you assume that children are naturally curious and energetic and that given space and, um, you know, interesting situations, mm. they will play and they will learn and they will discover. Um, and I think that if we could take a bit more of that attitude to ourselves in this kind of situation, like if you want to read, sit and read, if you want to stare out of the window at a bird flying or like pecking something on the street for a while, like, that's cool. Like time is really not going anywhere fast at the moment. And when you have your time, if you're not working or if you have breaks in your work or whatever, like just giving yourself that space without pressure, I think is more likely to leave us in that centered place where when you do get up and do something and move, you hopefully are moved by that that warm, gentle pull under the solar plexus mm. forward rather than the stiff heel of the hand and the small of your back mm. uh, telling you to get on. And so the sort of balance between ritual, which maintains kind of movement and some kind of energy, uh, rhythm, and then space to allow things to flower as they want to. So before I move to the last thing that I want to ask you about, um, maybe relating to what you've just said, which is just lovely, and I would like to do more of it myself. Um, for people listening, what question would you offer them to dwell with at the moment? Well, the first thing I thought of was, again, this is not me... I don't I don't actually feel in a position to to be telling other people where or to be, you know, suggesting that everyone think a certain thing, but uh something I would ask myself and that I I think would be useful to ask in any situation is what self do I want to bring out of this? Mm. Uh and in a world of this actually goes back to something that I remember you saying, but sort of in a world of, of panic and stimulation and a lot of uh, difficult things happening, what um, what can you bring to it as yourself? And that could be even a sense of, you know, it could be action and sort of creating things and making things happen, but it could also be for example, a calmness, uh, a self-assuredness and a, a gentleness that the world is also going to need. Mm. I love that. <laughs> In that spirit then, um, last night I had the treat when the world was quiet and everyone had gone to bed and there were no cars outside of my front, front door. Um, I had the treat of listening to a poem that you sent me that you wrote that just completely transported me and gave me this sense of timelessness and stillness um, 
and just joy to be in your presence in a different way, which is something that I cherish. But I was wondering if you would be happy to tell that poem um, so that everyone can hear it, because <laughs> I'd really like to share it with them. Yeah, I'd love to share it. Thanks. Thank you for asking me to. <laughs> okay, well, it doesn't have a title, so we'll go with the date. 25th of March, 2020. I'm not a writer of grand themes, and I do not know how to address this moment of catastrophic grandeur. I can only talk of teacups, the way time slides back and forth as if it had forgotten its way, of how the light pollution is so intense at night that it lights up the terrace and the bellies of the birds at dusk, so I see orange against the sky's bruised blue, and my eyes widen, straining at the dark, confused. The supermarket becomes hypothetical after several days, the street also. My mind does not travel that far. It ambles to the door, to the threshold, and returns. The screens, as always, fill the whole room. They stretch to fill the floor, the walls, the ceiling. They co-opt your eyes and fingertips until the rest of you dissolves. Looking up, you wonder, was I talking to a friend? Working, researching, reading the news or a novel. I'm not sure. When devices are shut down, the room returns, and the sky, and your body, with a residue inside of that rigid virtual embrace. <sighs> Breathe deep, and watch time try to start again. It sits at my window, and thinks of trying to tick, but feels it better to swing slow, like a pendulum in an old clock that does not pretend progression that is always returning to its centre and with a single finger can be stopped. Thank you for listening to The Hive Podcast with me, Natalie Nahai. To find out more about today's guest and the topics we explored, you can visit the show notes page at natalienahai.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. If you have any questions or feedback, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram at Natalina High. And if you enjoy the show, please give it a rating as it reaches new ears. And also, if there's someone that you feel could be supported by the content of this series, just ping on the link. Thank you again for listening. And I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.